0: Love exercises like that because you sort of. I like to sort of improvise at the pad all the time when I first sit down at the pad. Um, just have this kind of, um, yeah, it's like just greeting the pad, you know. Um, I may have even talked about that in uh, that episode, right at the beginning of this kind of series of podcasts called uh, about the practice pad, about my old, my original practice pad. Uh, this is my. Sono, sorry, Sabian, sorry, quiet tone. Uh, um, yeah, and it's just I like to just just come to the pad and then start to play something, and then like realize in the moment there's maybe like a little hesitation or there's something I'm not hundred percent sure about, and uh, some of that can just be, you know, having not. Thought about the drums at all for a number of days, god forbid. <gasps> what, or um, or just something new, just something or something not you know, not quite worked out, so to speak, yet. Um, so anyway, yeah, sorry, it's a bit of a random beginning, this, but yeah, well, welcome back. Um, it has been two weeks, um. Maybe more than two weeks, actually, since I recorded uh, a podcast, and it's mainly been because um, work. As I explained, I think in the last, if you did listen to the last episode, if anybody listened to any of this stuff, anyway, whatever. um, I was talking about work kind of ramping up, and um, yeah, the last couple of weeks have been very, very busy, and uh, it's been very hard to just find. The headspace actually time has been pretty tight. And then in the evenings, um, after work, I've you know we just got oh, a lot of a lot of projects at home that need to be finished before um, well before really kind of start teaching again. But really before the autumn kicks in, before we get into October and the nights get dark. And so after work, I've just been like hitting the ground running with those kind of things and um, and been sort of into that headspace, you know, not really being that into the drums. Um, the drums have taken a little bit of a backseat for the last month. Apart from, I've had a few um, just very specific things I've been tracking, recording uh, here at home, things I've been trying to get on top of sort of long-term projects, uh, and just really thinking about those drum parts, but not actually thinking about much else with drums, um, except for sort of prepping for teaching and just sort of refreshing some sort of teaching resources for, um, for you know, when the students come back, which is, um, it's Saturday night now, um, this Monday, and the teaching begins the week after next. And... Um, yeah i mean in the uk at the moment don't, to sort of don't document coronavirus and covid19 too much in these podcasts um but yeah things are not looking brilliant at the moment for for the uk and uh you know, sending out uh good vibes to our neighbors in france and spain and, and the like who are seeing things seem to be again going quite similar to what they were before but not italy which is interesting very strict in Italy, I believe. I've listened to a couple of podcasts of people who have been in Italy, um, car podcasts, talking about how Italy's got, you know, really they've really kind of nailed it on the kind of strictness, which, you know, I think is the only way forward at the moment. I think, um, you know, in order to have a bit more freedom in our lives, uh, whatever that really means, um, then I think we need to adhere to um, some sensible restriction, you know, not take risks, Um, you know my kind of life has carried on as it was I've hardly really been out since March at all you know not not done very much Um, and uh, I've made a decision to kind of you know stay at home and be kind of a bit isolated just by advice medical advice Um, and I was kind of hoping you know during july august that things were were sort of starting to improve and things were starting to feel a little bit like you know there might be an opportunity here for things to get maybe slightly back to normal but that's not happened so that's okay um i think the you know treatment or vaccine they're the two big things out there really that's in reality unless people you know can be behave a little less. if it's selfish or careless or maybe it's lack of education not sure there's a lot of people banned a lot of these kind of comments around people are so selfish and all this and i think i've even said it myself but actually when you listen to the news and people interviewed i think people are just genuinely pretty bemused you know so um anyway that's kind of the situation we're in but gladly we're open for business at college which is great college did reopen for september i've been in just the once um not been in my office actually, but I've been in the building, looked from the practice rooms and stuff. Some really great kind of um, work has been done at work, you know, um, to work at work. Some, uh, you know, the, some changes at work. They've done some, you know, they've really kind of gone to town on uh, all the different things that they need to do, uh, which is great to see. And uh, yeah, so, but yeah, the sort of thing of doing the, doing the podcast and the, the drumming thing and talking about. Um, stuff has just been quite a hard thing to get into the headspace of so it's been yeah a couple of weeks and um, and I was determined not to apologize at the beginning of this podcast because I just spent the last two or three apologizing for sort of the randomness of when uh, when stuff's come out the days they've come out Um, so yeah it's nice to be back anyway nice to be behind the pad and uh, yeah so that little improvisation there was based on. Uh, it wasn't even improvisation, was it? Like about six bars of doubles with some bass drums. I've got a little bass drum. You probably can't hear that on the recording. My little. I've got a bass drum practice pad for the for the pedal. You know, and it sits underneath my. Um, Underneath my desk here, where I've got my computer, where I work, this is where I do all my meetings at work. I also have my my logic, where I record. Um, And I've got this little practice pad, always set up here next to me, so I can just go to it whenever I've got five minutes or half an hour or one minute or whatever. Um, And then, yeah, and this little room, it's quite a nice little room. So I managed to make a bit more room in here this summer. I've moved some things out, bought a new shed, another new shed, and moved some things into the shed. All my kind of uh, electronic stuff and things, and then um, just t- yeah, because I've got sort of a bit more room in here now. So I'm kind of got a couple of plans for this little room. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in here anyway because I'm still going to be doing quite a lot from here with work um, for the time being, and. Yeah, and then uh, the, you know, the little drum shed. I was thinking about um, being sort of sat thinking about soundproofing, more soundproofing, going going to level up on the soundproofing. And, and you know, you have those kind of, I was sort of thinking, sat to, um, looking at the old eBay one night, um, sat in bed doing a bit of research, looking at different ways in which... Could like very simply try and take the um, the noise leakage down by another, I don't know, five decibels, maybe. Maybe that's a bit ambitious, uh, especially when it's on the higher end because it's harder the higher it is. than you know, one decibel, uh, higher decibels is more than two decibels at low. I don't understand why it's about this exponential. Somebody probably could explain that to me, but it's a it's a sound thing. But yeah, the levels the drums are at um yeah five decibels is probably pretty ambitious actually but um yeah i've been thinking about because the walls in here in this side of the drum shed where i'm sat this is the original structure and i've you know i've talked about this before in previous podcasts about the drum shed um which apparently looks like a sauna uh, when you're on when I'm on web- webcam. If I'm in this room, it just looks like I'm sat in a sauna. Apparently, because it's all that like, kind of wood, you know, it's a bit Scandinavian, yeah, which I like because I kind of love the old kind of Scandinavian part of the world, sort of Sweden and Norway and stuff. Beautiful part of the world. Beautiful people. Lived there for a while. Great, great vibe. Um, but yeah, this half is the original structure, and the walls don't really have. <clears throat> they don't have anything in, inside them apart from insulation. They have, you know, it's insulated. It's it's not cold in here. It's reasonably warm. And it gets very warm because the sun comes round in in the sort of summer, late spring all the way through summer into early autumn. It comes round from about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and it sits on this um, for quite a few hours and it gets quite hot. But the other half of the drum shed where the drum kit is, which is behind me, there's a little door here, and then the other half where the kit's set up... That was built, uh, sort of purpose built for that, um, but it was it was not not massively well thought out. But the walls do have uh, they have rock wool inside them, so they do have a little bit of um, it's obviously insulation, but it's also a bit of sound protection. But then I had um, some extra layers of glass put in uh, last year, so the double glazing became quadruple, and that just it's just fixed. Another fixed pane of, uh, of uh, double glazed glass in the three the three windows in there, and I put this internal door in here so I could shut this door when I'm recording. I set the computer going. I go in there, shut the door, and it has made it quieter. You know, it's, it's but been sort of sitting thinking about yeah, like adding some soundproofing in. So you know, the sort of design of the room is in the corners is sort of uh, I don't know what size is actually is it. 2b1s or something not sure i don't really know anything about measurements in woodworking measurements but maybe it's uh these little kind of um just the corners of the rooms yeah they've got this sort of potential anyway to add a layer of rubber and you can buy this stuff that's really dense rubber it's very very good for soundproofing, like campervans and cars and stuff and um and also for sort of for adding in if you've got buy some acoustic plasterboard and um so i've been sort of looking at this thing i was thinking about building these wall structures of acoustic plasterboard and then this layer of foam and then fitting them onto the walls um on these batons you know and then putting the shelves back up over the top and uh and so I sat in bed one night, I was designing this thing in my head, thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, and I came up here and looked at the magnitude of the work of it, and I was like, oh, my God, it's like, uh, just to be able to do that. And it's having the right tools and everything, you know, to be able to cut stuff properly. And um, so I, I'm, I think it may be something for spring or whatever, but, it's, uh, but if anybody has any ideas about um because the thing is it's, it's all right people to, to say two before and load of rock wool and whatever but i just don't don't have space for that in the other in the other room if i put two befores in the other room and fill it all with rock wool and fill, build that kind of fake room like, like another room within a room so to speak i just won't have any room in there to have a kit and to, to have any room to do what i need to do you know Whereas, if I this three, this foam is like, um, I think it's like, I'm not sure, is it 33 mil or something? No, it's not three mil, it can't be three mil, yeah, it's not three centimeters, uh, it's not that thick anyway. In fact, let me just look here because I was looking kind of on eBay at different things as you do, you know, the old eBay trawling, um, and Sorry, it is, yeah, it's 3 mil. Yeah, it is, it is three mil, But it's very dense, and it's really supposed to, um, you know, absorb... Um, it's low-end stuff, isn't it, really? It's harder to stop the high-end stuff sort of travelling, but that has less impact, I think. It's the low-end, low-mids and low-end, that's that's stuff that really moves, doesn't it, and vibrates walls and moves, goes up and down walls and stuff, uh, I think. I don't know, I'm talking nonsense, but... Um, but yeah and then there's a, you can buy B&Q um, I'm not sponsored by BQ, q by the way in any way but it's the only place where I really know how to kind of you know drive to somewhere to buy anything like this but they do this acoustic plasterboard and um, it's hilarious actually if you read the reviews it's clearly uh, some people clearly think this thing is a miracle worker thing and then they just write a one star review of it they say put this stuff up and it was crap you know all they did was they just put it up on a wall and hammered it to a wall and then expected it was going to get rid of all the sound. And then people that have written really good reviews have done the thing where they've got, you know, battens up and they've put some kind of rock wall or something behind or maybe this kind of foam stuff. And then they've just got a little bit of separation and then put the plasterboard on top, you know, uh, and then painted it or whatever they've done. Um but yeah, I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about the roof because a lot of sound goes out of the roof. Is we've got kind of a, it's got two kind of little peaks. It's like a cedar,
1: um,
0: a cedar um, roof on top of this house uh, thing, and it's in it's in two parts. Um, and I'm not sure how thick the roof is. I think it's a lot of noise comes out at the top. So again, I was sat thinking about. Uh, buying some uh, acoustic foam and cutting it out into shape. And and then the other tricky side of it was I quite like the sound of the room. You know, I, when I record my drums in there, I just bought some new overhead mics. They're nice microphones. Um, I used to have the NT5 Rhodes, and they're, they're good. You know, I'm recording on a Rode mic now. I've got an NT2A. I've had this mic for a long, long time. And this is the one I use for podcasts, unless I'm doing the kit ones, whereas I use a 58 then because that's great when you're playing and you don't get too much bleed. But um, I got rid of the NT5s because I invested in some KM184 Neumanns, which I've had before, and I love those mics. I really like them. Some people think they're a bit clinical, and they're, and they're certainly not 414s. You know, I, 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 I would agree with that. Uh, if I had the choice, I would buy, yeah, some vintage 414s, 70s, uh ones the kind of silver cased ones. They're the ones I'd have. I mean, you know, you have reliability problems, but they they sound beautiful and and I know somebody's got a pair of them and they really are nice mics, you know. But the the KM184s during lockdown there was I was watching a lot of them and there was quite a few for sale and then there was a pair that I hesitated on that I nearly got for a really good price and I just hesitated and then they got sold. Um and then I delved, in, I dived in. Sorry, on a um, on a pair that came up that were uh, not a high price, but were at the higher end of of the of a matched pair, and uh, went in with an offer, and um, and the person accepted uh, just a little bit above it. We we came to quite a quick deal, and and I was very happy with the price, and they're a good investment, you know, because they hold the value well. I, I had a pair that I sold in 2013 and they were bought they were I don't think they were a matched pair um because uh, my my friend Stuart McCallum had four of them he bought them up he was buying mics at one point he was going through like a bit of a stage of buying microphones because he was trying to get himself kind of set up with his own gear and was kind of up in his gear and and yeah, he ended up with four of them, and I bought two off him. And I bought them basically for what he paid for them at the time, and that was what they were going for. But these, they were the ones that were just in individual boxes. This was a pair, a matched pair in in a, in a single box, wooden box, really nice, you know. And they were always a bit more expensive back in two thousand and thirteen, uh, and and the the market value now um he's very very similar so my kind of view is you know you get into a pair of them if you ever need to get out of them and because of you know financial reasons or whatever or you just you know give up recording or some crazy thing i sold my previous pair because i, I needed the money at the time because i was uh in the middle of a a personal crisis as they say um needed cash you know uh so I just figured yeah I could get rid of them and just get my money back you know and this, and the thing with the so the NT5s that I had for ages um again I bought them uh 2 years ago and I sold them for the same money absolutely exactly the same you know um so and and I'd been watching the value of them um and they were yeah they were very they they were very similar they hadn't moved much in two years. Um, I think if I'd had the matching windshields and uh, the matching bags with the no, no, I had matching bags, but they were a little bit. The bags were a little bit. The zips had sort of fallen off a bit, and I, didn't, I only had one windshield with my pair, but they were a match pair. But if I'd had all, all perfect, I'd probably they'd probably gone up slightly in value. Um, but I just sold them for the same as I bought them for, so it was all spot on really. So. Um, anyway, yeah. So that's the sort of thing with the room. It's a nice room, and it sound. I like the sound of the room. I, I, I when I'm recording in here, and I'm not very good at recording, and um, I'm okay. I've got Logic. I've got a nice sound card. I've learned to meter at a good level. Um, I struggle a bit with the 58. Sorry, with the 57 on the snare because I only have two pads on my preamp. I don't have um, limit limited. Um, unlimited pads i only got i only have two so i use them on on the km's actually um so the 57 when it's on the when the preamp's just on its lowest setting is just within what i would consider like a good tolerance i'm kind of at minus nine decibels and i'm really laying into it which is not ideal I'd rather it was down at minus 15, really, because we're digital stuff, you know, you, you want loads of headroom. It's not, this is not analog recording, it's digital recording. So, and that's the thing I've learned over the past six months. Whereas I used to meet at like minus two, uh, because, yeah, all my conversations with recording are from years and years and years ago, and I used to, you know, we used to, I used to go around to people's houses and they had eight track tape you know, recorders and, you know, they had reel to reels that were eight track and they were they were metering, they were trying to push the level uh, to get sound to tape, you know. So we'd be like it'd be a real compromise um with that sort of dynamic thing, you know. Um whereas now I metered to like the overheads I'm aiming sort of for minus of minus fifteen, fourteen decibels and the bass drum, yeah, minus sort of fifteen and the toms and stuff, but I'm not quite getting them. with a snare. But I quite like a slightly gritty snare anyway. I like to push the snare. I like to compress it. I like, uh, you know, there's something about that kind of sound. And then when when I'm listening back in here and listening here, the room, um, I really like the sound of the snare through the 57 in the room. Uh, any of the snares I've got. And I really like the sound of the overheads. There's something about the sound of the room. And I used to, when I had the KM, uh, sorry, when I had the, the NT5s, I like the sound of the room. The, 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 the NT5s are slightly less clean. Uh, not clean. Uh, they're slightly more, dis- not distorted, but not quite as pristine a signal as the KMs, you know. Um, apparently very, very low noise, apparently, as a, for a microphone, but the actual sound is not quite as pristine, there's definitely a difference and and, and I can really hear it in that room, you know, in, in next door so part of my thing was like do I really want to add some more kind of deadening into the room uh, into the ceiling particularly because I think, I think part of the character of the room comes from the reflections off the ceiling, you know, some of it comes I think from the reflections off the glass and and then the rest of it's an abundance of wood you know, and there's, a, there's a couple of drum cases in there and stuff but generally it's a you know, so it's all about compromising it. Um, I'm going to see how I get on with noise. Um, we're definitely moving into a better time of year now for noise because, you know, the summer's the hardest time around here because it's not soundproof. And the sound where my drum shed is, it travels a bit across, sort of across the... Um, the houses next to us because it's quite high up and it sort of just travels across the air, you know, and then people have the windows open in the summer, you know, and as things get colder, people shut the windows, don't they? And, and then, you know, you disturb people less. And then the, you know, I was thinking, I, I do, I like tracking drums and the weather's hideous because the, you know, the sound just doesn't travel as much when it's when it's windy and it's chucking it down. You definitely, definitely don't hear as much noise because the, the waves can't get through the air, can they? You know, you've got this wind howling and you've got the rain coming down and stuff. I, I, it's definitely a good time for tracking drums, I always think, <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, it's, yeah, all been kind of thoughts about that. Been So there's been a lot of preoccupation with that and not a lot really about drums. And uh, this is like the been the longest non-introduction to um to a podcast ever i think this is in fact to be be fair this is actually the format of what i was really in like originally intended it to be you know um it's become like subject based which is actually totally cool um but the intention about this was always to be a little bit more abstract i mean i think a lot of it's quite abstract anyway but it was always never meant to be like the titles were supposed to be retrospective. One of the things I'd said was, well, I'm going to record things and then I'll title it afterwards. And today is definitely that. Um, because today's thing is um, it's, a, it's a sort of another little mini Q&A. And, uh, and they're just – I get occasionally get questions from people and, then, and they're not really to be answered on the podcast. They're, they're, they're questions that come through – they mainly come through Instagram. Um, actually, one of them, the KM184s and the, and the NT5s, was a question that um a, a couple of people that um, I, I chat to regularly on um, Instagram. Well, time to time, you know, people, I don't talk to a lot of people on Instagram, but my regular thing to talk to people on Instagram is like once every month or something. And um, they'd both asked me about the mic, my overheads, and they must have heard something. With the recording, because these people have listened to the stuff I've posted for like three or four years, you know. Um, so pre NT5s, I used to use the 57 and this mic I'm speaking to now, it's just a two mic setup and this mic and this sound card that I'm using now. This I've, I've kept hold of this focus Um it's called uh, which one is this now? It's the Sapphire, yeah. The Scarlet's the one i bought now. But I, I've always had this two-channel um, Sapphire thing, USB thing, and uh, I kept hold of it because, as you know, on the Mac, and people that don't know, on the Mac, you can run this thing called um, audio MIDI setup thing and you can basically create a device that combines two different cards in Logic and use those together so when i do my my drumming podcasts when i'm on the kit and i'm recording with the 58 when i'm doing when i'm speaking down the mic i'm using the fo- this little focus right in here for the uh, for the extra channel and because i've got i basically i wanted an eight channel setup on the kit and i wanted to start playing the five piece again so um, that you know i've had that discussion already and gibbered on about that in a previous podcast and i'm using these sonophonics now i've got the 12 13 14 which is my been my dream sizes forever you know and now i've got that set up here and absolutely loving it with the 20 um the the 18s still just the gigging bass drum you know and of course i haven't done a gig since march so that's that um there's a possibility of a gig in november woo which is quite exciting um again the gigging thing i have to I have to think quite carefully about because uh, i'm not um, it has to be the right conditions for me I'm afraid it, it just ha- it has to have you know uh, it's got to basically be um, safe you know really safe uh, I won't go and do gigs in little venues or anything not that anybody's done any of those gigs but it's I, I definitely won't be doing anything like that for foreseeable future but I've been offered a gig um, which is a, you know, it's a separate load in There's a separate room to sit in, um, green room thing for the musicians, and um, which all might sound very normal to some of you, but some of you know who are jazz musicians, that ain't normal at all. You're just mingling around with the crowd most of the time, which I won't do at the moment, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, and, it's, and the stage is, you know, it's quite a big stage, so I can be away from the other musicians. And the drums is a pretty good, just as a sort of fundamental thing if you're in a big space you know I'm talking like a big room uh, that's got you know plenty of air and shit going on um the drum kit as well if you've got your own place to kind of load in and set up and be behind the kit and then get off the stage and be in a sort of room away from people it's all pretty kind of safe you know because the the, the the drum kit is, itself is a sort of socially distancing kind of instrument isn't it um it's just when you've got to wander in through a venue and wander through a crowd, you know, and people are chatting to you and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then you're in like a, then you're kind of at the back of a room and it's a really hot room and there's loads of people in there. It's like, no way. So I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen for me um, for a long time until, you know, until there's other options. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah, kind of, anyway, there's this the option of a gig. So I may, maybe getting the kit out in a couple of months, um, but there's nothing at all before then um and it's been nice in a way to not be um having to sort of take the kit out and stuff i mean i've got a kit that i use for gigging and then i've always got a kit here that i use for recording so i'm never taking things down um and for gigging I'm probably going to end up using the Yamaha because the Yamaha is the kit that I've taken down because I wanted to have the five-piece phonics, you know. And the 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 five-piece phonic thing was about having the eight-ins and about having three toms. So uh, t- 12, 13, 14, all mic'd up individually. I wanted a hi-hat mic. I've not had a hi-hat mic for a long, long time. And it was I was definitely missing that thing of being able to control the sound of the hi-hat. Uh and just, you know, so when I was using the two setup with the with the um with the uh, sapphire, yeah, the scarlet. I keep, 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 can't remember which one's which. The sapphire, the the, the two in one. I was, I had the fifty seven in the sort of middle of the kit, sticking through the middle of the kit, next to the bass drum and the snare drum, between the two toms, and kind of pointing at the higher. And then I had this NT two A as an overhead. Uh, when he, and it's not really an overhead this mic. Really, it's not. It's, a, it's more like a kind of vocal mic thing, and this kind of large diaphragm thing. But you know, it's funny because I, I listened to some stuff recently recorded with the two mics, and I quite liked it. I quite like the simplicity of it. You know, now I've got into the eight channel thing, and it's just—I mean, I've learned so much, uh, and you know, even like. I'm even using gates on the toms um very very gentle gates just to kind of keep the background noise when I'm not playing them out but the you know they're they're on a they're on a really the setting is very natural and it's not like a you know sort of 80s gated snare thing it's not it's nothing like that at all it's just um just keeps the signal a bit keeps the sorry the mix a bit cleaner when because you know I don't play the toms a huge amount um in in any kind of style of music that I play, really. I mean, jazz, when I'm playing Latin kind of stuff within a jazz style, jazz gig, that's probably when I'm using the toms the most, actually, you know, or doing some kind of Afro-Cuban thing or whatever. But um, so, yeah, so anyway, um, so I kept this two-in card and I used that as the extra thing for, you know, for recording these for recording these podcasts. Um so it's meant it's been really nice I've got my card in here now. I can just kind of do this. Uh, so I've really got the setup sorted, but I've just not had the time or the headspace to actually do anything, do that, actually do any podcasts. So um but yeah So these 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 questions anyway come through from time to time. And the thing the thing I tend to do with the podcasts um was I tend to write, I tend to make some notes and then they sort of formulate themselves into a subject and then I have other notes which um, I've been trying to keep in one place on my phone because I use this thing called Evernote which is, I think it's called Evernote, is it called Evernote? I don't know what it's called actually Uh, let's have a look at, yeah it is Um, and, and I have it on my computer as well So and they just sync to each other uh, and it's the same with my, uh, sorry, with the, the Mac notes as well. They they sync to my Google and my cloud and stuff. But uh, I don't have that on the phone because it's Samsung, so you can't have the uh, the notes on the phone. Uh, you probably have the Google notes, but it can't be setting it up. So I've had this Evernote thing for ages, and I try and write everything in there. And, and inevitably, I don't always because I also use the Samsung notes thing <laughs> because I do all. If I'm doing measurements for, like I was trying to work out building, I want to put a drain pipe. On the sh- on my shed, on our new shed, the garden shed, I mean, uh, I want to put a drain pipe on there, and I was working out um, the uh, the angle of um, the right angle triangle. Well, sorry, the outer angle of the corner of the shed using the uh, using the, you know how to work out right angle triangle, you know, uh, Pythagoras or whatever it is, um, and so. Um, I write when I when I when I do all those measurements and stuff. I always write them in Samsung Notes because it's really it just loads really quickly, and I just put all. So i have always got like the measurements of everything I'm doing, 14 feet by this, and it's a tw- you know the angle is 124 degrees, and it, all these things are in you know. But some of the drum notes that I have, and they're just things that come to me when I'm practicing or when I'm thinking about something, or just when something occurs to me. I make notes, you know, Um, like I'll I'll read one that I put in the other day, which I actually put into Evernote, it's here in front of me. I was writing about not being an island, you know. Uh, And it's like, what the hell are you talking about, Dave? And so what that refers to was I was thinking about um, not being, you know, too separated from um, what other people are doing and, and what what's going on in music, and what and what I'm trying to do with my playing, you know, um, and that I, that thing about getting the balance right between, um, you know, finding your own thing. It's like a John Riley said a great thing in a workshop. Um, because we, we there was a long discussion going on about uh, transcription and about lineage and learning from the canon, you know, and learning from other people and about all that kind of thing. And, uh, and he said something that was very funny. He said that if, if you heard somebody uh, who would never listen to anybody else they sound so bizarre and disconnected from anything that you you know, had heard socially or, you know, community or music whatever, that it people would, it would just be kind of disconnected from everything, you know and um, and I remember hearing some music once uh, I'm not going to say what it is or who was playing it, amazing drummer and amazing music, but Music that was really baffling, and the drumming, and the, particularly the rhythmic structure of the music was utterly bemusing, and uh, and it was one of those things where it was genuinely like something I'd never heard before in my life. You know, never ever heard this kind of playing or this kind of music. You know, and uh, and it wasn't it wasn't music from a different uh, well, actually, it was music kind of based on a on a completely different culture that I don't know a lot about at all but it wasn't we wasn't played by those people it was played by um it was played by Americans who were jazz musicians who lived in New York so uh you know I've listened to a lot of Americans who live in New York that play jazz uh, all kinds of music by Americans that live in New York who play jazz but this music they were playing uh was just really, I mean, compositionally really, really dense heavyweight and and amazing players, you know. So anyway, so this is just like a little insight to why, you know, I write things down, just write not being an island, you know, because I was just thinking about um, making sure that, like, the the thought actually directly came from um, I was thinking about swing, playing swing drums and... About again, still working on this thing of trying to play, working on a way of playing that is clearer, that has um, better, more consistent time, and is really focused on um, external things, and not an ego-led thing. So if you can connect those two things together, then, then you know, good luck. <laughs> but it, but it, what it what it was, I was really thinking about this thing of, uh, it's a genuine journey for me of wanting to be better at playing from a different place than I have done in the past, you know. Uh, uh, not, not massively changing things. I don't think, you know... M- Everything that I play is, you know, is egotistical. It's not even really about that. It's it's a subtle thing, but it's just about that goal all the time of of, of, of being mainly about being present, and about being focused. Actually, you know, um, I, I like this idea of um, of being present, and I like like when I do these podcasts. The thing that I always find Really weird when I first start recording is I, I suddenly become aware of being present you know because i've I'm speaking to a microphone in a room on my own, imagining that there are people listening to me you know uh, well, I'm not actually I'm not saying having you know people are listening to me I'm, oh, I can imagine someone listening to me i'm it's just that thing of it 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 does make you very it makes you present you know which is a good thing and uh and it's certainly the opposite of the daydreaming thing you know, the daydreamy vibe where, you know, I think people have this idea that in music that we're sort of tripping out, man, it's all daydreamy and woo, you know, and we're playing and it's all like existential and it's all like, you know, lights and sh- whatever, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But yeah, it's not that at all. The people, all the people I know who are great players are very relaxed and are present and are listening really really listening and are listening to the right things and that that's you know one of the core things for me i've talked about this before about my the thing i really try and listen to when i'm playing in trio or jazz for instance is the bass when i'm playing um different other kinds of music then it's it's maybe something else but it's normally the bass is a big part of my attention. Even if I'm playing like a singer songwriter or something, I'm doing a, you know live thing and it's or or in the studio or whatever. I like to I always like to track with bass players. You know, even if the bass player redoes their track, I always like to get it down with them because you want to feel that vibe. And then you know that when they've played with you, if it's someone that you connect with, then they're going to revisit that in in a way where they're going to know where it's from. You know. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I play with some, some very, very, very good bass players that are great, you know, great um, listeners and they're very musical, they're empathetic human beings in, in, the, in, in every sense of the word, which is, which is great, you know. And um, so, and yeah, it also ties into this thing of um, one big profound change for me, uh, he'd been quite recently, actually, and it's one of those things where you know you know something, but you don't. You, you've never galvanised it. You know, you've never kind of oh, that's what it actually is. If I was to say it, you know, I know what it feels like, and I know what I'm trying to find. I know the feeling of it, and that can be enough sometimes. You don't need to put things into words. But there's a great Hal Galper workshop where he's talking to this young uh, alto player who's really good. But he says this great thing to him about being exciting but not being excited, you know. Um, and that's that really... Um, it really captured me, that idea of... of I know when my playing is not happening, it's when I'm getting too excited, you know. Uh, and it's not when I'm playing in a way which is relaxed and really listening... And is allowing things to happen that people who are listening or are into that music will be excited by you know, so you don't have to make things exciting because they're exciting by the nature of what they are you know, and so again there's that kind of it's that ego thing again and there's all this kind of little balancing acts of stuff that they're all linked together all these different things you know uh, for me they feel like they are and and so I always make these little notes and um and part of another thing in this note was about um, not being, you know, not giving too much or not playing too emotionally, you know. And I was thinking about this thing of do, you know, do I save, do I save the emotion in music for listening? Because I, I, I love listening to music, you know, um, and I, and I, and I, uh, I find it a very mo- emotional experience, you know. It's. Um, it's just a beautiful thing and of course you know lots of you listening will all of you probably listening will feel the same way and we all have different you know um, you know ways of emotionally that we attach to the music and and it's a beautiful private thing isn't it because it can you know the emote the emote the thing that emotes inside you is is something that you can really um, enjoy in your own little dream world and your own little world you know whatever that whatever that is you know and, and process things or just feel things or you know, or sometimes things are, you know, they're, they're too painful or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's just that thing, of it, it, that emotive thing. Um, but I've always had this thing of, like, again, when I'm playing and I feel like I'm, it's just getting a bit, you know, out of control or just becoming a bit, like, oh, me- you know, messy or whatever, it, I generally think, again, it's like, it's, you know, I'm, be- I'm being too emotional about it. Um, and it's not about being emotionless, You know, I've heard I've heard people say about some really good players that I know, and other people, you know, they play uh, unemotionally. You know, there's no emotion going on, and and I always mistake that. I think, or they mistake that for someone who's playing really clearly and playing what needs to be played and playing it really well, and then they're missing themselves. The kind of the joy or the emotion for themselves, you know of that thing because they're sort of focusing on the person who's delivering it, you know, but if you were to listen to it on a record, you'd probably just think it was mega, you know <laughs> that's what that's what I always think anyway, so yeah, it's just like the the little notes, so anyway, there was a few little questions and things that I'd had. Um, over the last few weeks. And I sort of stored them up. And I thought today, I thought I'm not going to plan anything. but uh, Well, I'm not going to plan anything. I've planned these questions. But I'm not even going to start the podcast with a hello and all that non-usual thing. I just thought I'll just find a, a, a point to start speaking. And then it will just be from there. And at some point, I'm going to get around to answering these questions or getting into these little questions and I mean it's kind of irrelevant because the people that ask them probably won't don't even listen to this podcast so you know it's just um but one of them i'm going to start with um a quick one actually to answer was that somebody said about favorite things to play along to and um i think this was in reference to um these tracks that I write, um, I write tracks to mainly t- to practice to uh, for specific tempo styles and um, time signatures or something. You know, I just have an idea about different things, and I don't, I don't always write things that, are, that end up being like the thing I intended. And you know, a lot, there's loads and loads and loads of stuff that never gets used. It's just they're just these projects that are just they sound hideous, you know, they're just nonsense music. Um, But that's kind of how I tend to work. But there's this the thing that I used to do a lot of was I used to play along to records, you know, when I was younger particularly. I mean, I was obsessed. I used to make the the needle on the record player jump all the time because I used to practice, you know, in the early days. When I was at home, I used to put the jam on and David Bowie and things like that, you know, and the record player would be... Like I hit the snare or the bass drum particularly or the snare drum. It was a lot of low ending snare, you know. Hit the snare drum too loud or the bass drum, and you know the the needle would jump. Um, but I really got into. I put everything onto cassette. I sort of worked it out quite quickly that you now I get everything down to cassette. You can carry a little Walkman around with you, and then I bought some you know some headphones that had that went around your ears, and I rewired some bigger speakers into them. It probably wasn't very really good for my ears. But I took them to bits. Bought some little uh, drivers that were slightly louder. You know, um, the drain <laughs> used to drain the battery more. But you know, but then I worked out. and I got a power supply for my little Walkman, um, and then yeah, that was kind of that was the thing. And I used to, so I used to put everything on tape. And uh, the things, the things that I've, if I think about what I used to play to a lot, that I if I just don't really think about it, the first thing that comes to mind. That I that I used to love playing along with, and I've still never played along with it and thought that I had a clue about what was going on with it. It was a tune, strangely titled "Babe of the Day" by Vince Mendoza, um, who's one of my favourite uh, writers, musicians, and and he's got Peter Erskine on it. And it was a, it was a tune that I was somebody gave me uh, in nineteen ninety. 1991, a guy called Orofo Rackway, a really good bass player. I used to play a lot with in London when I was in a band with um, Alad Jones and co, George Mariani and uh, people. Um, he used to have this band when I lived in London, it's sort of pop band, and it was a really good band. Uh, I and mean, it, was, it was a funny thing. I think mean, I've, I've talked about this in previous podcasts anyway because it was a band that I nearly got fired from probably at least twice because I was crap, you know, and then survived that and really got my shit together. And then by the time when I left London, uh, the band was going, you know, was still going strong and I got replaced by a really good drummer. I can't remember his name. He was really good. I remember hearing him on a demo they'd done. I thought, oh, yeah, he sounds better. That's better, isn't it? You know, just one of those things where I just always like the sound of other people. Um, But anyway, yeah but it was a it was a really great experience. I was so grateful to be in that band and go through all the horrific experiences of recording with them and stuff and just being nowhere. And then getting to a place where it was genuinely better, you know, and we and we wrote some quite interesting music and it was a really good band. The band was great. It was a proper band, you know. It was like one of those 90s bands It was like in the in the 90s these kind of you know people had bands. That were uh, well, they did in seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties, but it was just something about that, you know, that kind of evolution as you know, as a young person, you know, you I was listening to Tears for Fears and stuff, and it was like Manu of Caché, you know, and it's like that is the shit, you know, if you're not playing like that, then it's not happening, and so that was kind of all I was trying to remotely aspire to sound like, you know, and I was listening to Peter Gabriel as well, and again, that was Manu and Vinnie and just that thing, that kind of ethic of playing at that level, you know and so the band that I was in everybody who was on their instrument was into all this kind of music and was all really trying to you know, and Orofo had all this great music and he and he did this tape for me. I had this thing called Babe of the Day, Vince Mendoza These a few tracks from this album called Start Here um, it's a great album, he made two really good albums around that time actually um, very similar lineups there's one called Start Here and one called um, oh, what's it called now? Um, I'm thinking of connections, but it's not called connections. Uh, it'll come back to me. Uh, instructions inside. Sorry, that's what it was called. Instructions inside, and uh, again, very, very similar lineup. Might be the same lineup. It's certainly Erskine and Will Lee on bass, on and and like Scoey's on guitar. Um, you know, he's written a lot. Mendoza wrote a lot, actually, for for, for John Schofield. But, yes, yeah, Scoey's on guitar and Bob Mincer, Um, It was all people I really liked listening to at that time. Anyway, I used to practice that track a lot, Babe of the Day, and I just it's just a stream of consciousness, one of the greatest in fusion music. I still think it's one of the great drum takes of fusion music. It's such an amazing drum part from beginning to end, uh i mean it's a fade sadly so you never hear i'd love to hear what the what the studio the 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 take was i'd love to hear how they how it finished you know i mean it would have probably just stopped and they'll whatever but i don't know whether there was ever an end to it the part uh i taught somebody at college um a great young drummer called katie patterson she uh she played that piece for her recital. She got the part and we spent, well, she spent fucking hours and hours and hours rehearsing it. I spent some time with her trying to help her learn that piece with her group, you know, and her learn the, the drum part, you know. And it was great to do that. It was a it was a, it was a, a drum part that was really close to me, but as I started analysing it with Katie and looking at the actual part, which I'd never even thought about, it's in it's like in loads of different time signatures it's really complex you know and when i play it and i was playing along to it i just always thought it was all in 4/4 you know and it's I and mean, it's definitely not in 4/4 I'm being a bit facetious there but you know um but yeah that so that's the answer to that question um that's the tune i've probably enjoyed playing along to the most um another one i like i like playing this guy called nando loria he's, he's a brazilian singer he he was um He was in, he's sung with Pat Metheny actually And uh, uh, I've got a couple of albums of his anyway And I really like playing along to those tracks Because there's a really authentic Brazilian vibe about the pieces Even though some of it's really cheesy and it's really hideous recording The feel is spot on, you know and so um yeah, I, I like playing along to I've got a few things I always go to and, and Nando's definitely one of them. Not go to Nando's, but Nando. Um and then before you know before that I used to spend years and years playing along to the Jarrett trio and and Keith Jarrett's solo piano. I used to play along to Facing You, the album up front and Layleen and stuff. I used to just play along to him and solo concerts, Bremen, Germany, uh, Lausanne Bremen, Germany. Um 73, I used to play along to that because it's very groovy music, you know. And then before that was Buddy Rich, I used to just play along to all the Buddy Rich albums and uh, think that I was, you know, playing something like what he was. And as I got older, I realised I wasn't playing anything like it. It was completely nonsense, you know. Um, But anyway, so that's that. Um, Somebody's asking me about ways to be yourself um i just go back to i did a podcast ages ago um i can't really remember what the title of it was but if you look through the titles you'll find a whole podcast on this you know um but i think my view is very simple and i say this in in teaching all the time and i'll be saying this in two or three weeks time you know um and it's about the it's about the fear of transcribing or copying if people some people call it copying some people got transcription um some people call it sort of a simulated learning you know by sort of you know working and listening to what somebody else is doing and then trying to do it yourself and then my view is simple and uh, this is maybe because this is my experience uh, this is our scientific view um and uh, you know Maybe at some point I'd do a study. I probably can't be asked really; it's, like it's too much like hard work in it. But I think most people listening to this would probably agree. And if you don't, drop me an email: drummyd at gmail dot com. But my view is, um, and and this may be a society thing. This may be this society, the society I live in, um, democracy or whatever. But. Um I'm just I'm just talking nonsense. I, I just think I think this view it's the same all over the world, you know. I think um you can copy something, transcribe it, whatever, and learn it exactly and play it, get as close as you can to the source. And that's you know, it's a useful job of work, in my opinion, if you're thinking about the right things. And the right things, in my opinion, are why are you interested in copying that thing? If you're interested in copying that thing because it resonates with you, then you're trying to you're trying to find some truth in that for yourself. You're trying to um understand how somebody that you're really inspired by is doing what they're doing how do how we do what we do is everything so in that process, you will learn about how you learn you will then get a better understand about how somebody else is doing what they're doing and in in those two things the kind of the culmination of those two processes in my opinion just galvanizes your own thing to be stronger i think and so you use that information and you can be you know you can be as, as absorbed in it for as long or short as you need to be um but inevitably everybody I believe sounds like themselves, you know. Um, and will and will go on to do things that are their own things. Even if they have been copying loads and loads of stuff and just kind of you know, you see, I mean, I used, years ago I remember when the when the sort of the this kind of phenomena started coming out of China, you know, these young, amazing players that were just ridiculous technicians and they were just literally copying dave Weckel. like literally it was just like dave Weckel. um and people presented it um as like like an end point you know like oh this is this is this is the end of this person's existence they're now sounding like dave Weckel. well how pointless is that and and i always think well you know why Why would that view... Why would you take that view? And I, th- and I think it's definitely a view when I was younger that I took. Maybe, you know, it's probably an insecurity thing. I don't know, but, you know, it's like, wow, this, like, 14-year-old kid from, you know, the middle of nowhere. or oh, we're just, like, you know, in China somewhere. And some unknown kid is playing all the same shit that Dave Weckel can play. You know, oh, my God, you know, that's incredible. That's also scary. But then you go, but well, where's the individuality in that? And then my view is, well, the individuality will come, you know, because that kid will go on to just play other stuff, you know, will mix and match those ideas up in their own way. It's like if I said, play paradiddle, paradiddle, double paradiddle, and paradiddle, paradiddle, triple paradiddle, and double paradiddle, triple paradiddle, double paradiddle, whatever... As soon as you go, yeah, I'm gonna do double power diddle, triple power diddle, double power diddle, paradiddle, paradiddle, or whatever, you know, blah blah. I'm gonna variate that thing. As soon as you do that, you're different. And then as soon as you start putting, you know, little inflections or accents into those patterns and thinking about you know, your own way of sculpting those patterns, you know. Cause nobody ever dissed anybody, did they, for learning the rudiments. You know, we put we 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 push this thing onto people. You must learn your rudiments, you know. 25 or the 40 or whatever it is you know I learned from Charles Wilcox and so there was 25 in there but yeah the 40, the 40 rudiments you know the the pass um online you, know, you can get a free thing from the Percussive Arts Society of America your pass rudiments that's the ones i use because it's the it's the most kind of universal really there's the Vic Firth as well isn't there? i don't want to get into the buzz roll debate oh, i don't want to get into that we won't go there but anyway Nobody gets dissed for learning the rudiments because, you know, they're a tool to get somewhere. And transcribing Dave Weckel and copying him exactly and nailing that thing is a vehicle, in my opinion, to get somewhere, you know. And what people choose to do, that information themselves, is up to them. They've, you know, They've got their own kind of, you know, free will to use that information how they want to use it. But I, I always think that, it's never the same, is it? It may people say oh, it's like a clone. It's amazing. It's not exactly the same, actually. It's very, very close, and it's ridiculous, and it's you know, and it's all those things. But it's still not Dave Weckl, so it's cool. Don't worry about it. Relax, you know. So, but anyway, that's my kind of small view. So don't worry. Yeah, you know, being ways to be yourself. There's no fear, I don't think, in transcribing other people's stuff and learning how they do what they do, because it's going to help you learn about, you know, process and about how you get to how you get somewhere quicker, you know. And I think ways to be yourself is definitely by, listening to other people to work out what you do and what you don't like, you know um because again it's back to this island thing you know don't be an island don't be this player that's never listened to any other music ever and, and appears on a stage and everyone's like baffled by what you're doing because it's not it's got no groove and it's you're playing like you know like just grooves on weird on the floor or i don't know so i mean maybe it's like a quirky thing i don't know it's all music in it i suppose at the end of the day but i think if you're trying to connect with the people and have a social vibe in your music Let's not forget that, people, even in in these crazy times, um, it's still possible to have a social vibe in music and it will come back again full on for sure uh, in the not too distant future. So, yeah, anyway, that's... um, Have a listen to that podcast is the answer to that question, I would say. Um, The third one is about um, drumsticks and practice sticks and i kind of know where this comes from so like the drumstick i use and anybody that knows me probably uh will remember and quite a few of my students do go they, they go through trying this stick because i use it and they like the sound they, they like the sound i make on cymbals and stuff and it's not all about the stick that it's about the hand you know some of it does come from the stick but i i you know when i get warmed up I find a better sound with exactly the same stick, and it's it's me. It's coming from me, not from the stick, but I'm, it's actually coming from the symbol. The symbol's got the sound in it. I'm just not finding it. But anyway, I use that Peter Erskine original stick. I've used it since it came out in eighty, whenever it was, and I've never used another stick when I play. I've never done, you know, never gone through an extensive period of gigging um, and used a different stick. But when I practice on a pad, I don't tend to practice with the Erskine stick a lot. For instance, the sticks I've got in front of me here are the SD10 Swinger American Classic. They're just what's on the pad. And and I'm perfectly happy to play these. As soon as I get on the kit and start playing... I'm not finding my sound as quickly as I need to with these sticks because the tips and the weight are different. I like an end-heavy stick when I'm playing. When I'm practicing, I've got a few different pairs of sticks. I've got these old ProMark things. Jeff Moore, who's a marching drum dude, um, I don't know anything about him, but he he came out with these amazing sticks. They're massive, and they're like they're the same they're the same stick as the Erskine. You know, they're, they're a, an end-heavy stick with a ball uh, tip, a round tip. But they're really big. They're, they're, they're like... I always say they're four times the size. They're not four times the size. But they're more than twice the size of the Erskins. But they're the same dimension and they feel the same. And I use them to practice quite a lot with... Um, and I'm going to get this other stick down because I'd never get the name of this right. And I can see it. And it's... Um, Oh no, it's the wrong one. That's the Vater Piccolo Sugar Maple. That's not the stick I was uh, thinking of. Again, but that's quite a nice stick. It's got a, it's got a ball tip again. I don't don't tend to practice with those. I'm not that keen on the Sugar Maple thing. The wood, I'm, I'm a Hickory. I'm first choice Hickory every time. I don't mind the Oak thing. The Pro Mark. Uh, they use this uh, Japanese. Oh, it's got a name. Can't remember what it is. Um, But anyway, yeah, I I tend to, if I'm doing some serious pad practice, it's the Jeff Moores. Um, I can't find them, actually. I wanted to tell you what they, in fact, I couldn't tell you because they're worn out. All the writing's worn off them. Uh, You can't buy them in the UK anymore. They're white. They're they're painted white. So they're a bit of an arse, really, because they're a little bit slippy. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish they hadn't. I wish they were just natural wood. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'd, I, I'd, I'd actually, I'm, I'm thinking about, I've been thinking about sanding them and getting rid of the paint off them, but I don't really want to change them because I really like them. But I would like, would kind of, yeah, it'd be nice if they didn't have the, um, I just like, you know, natural wood stick. I'm not even that keen on the lack of the varnish they put on sticks, to be honest with you. I know they make them last longer and stuff, but. Uh, I'm always happy when it's worn away, you know, and, I, and I'm with new, some of the Peter Erskins, the Vic Firths go through the different phases where they lacquer them slightly differently and I get the old glass paper out, the sort of 600s or whatever it is, grit, 800s and I just I just take away some of the lacquer you know, because um, I just find it all a bit yeah, it just feels a bit fake Um yeah, I just prefer it when... They used to have... The Erskine sticks used to have blue writing. And then they changed them. They've got black writing now. But the blue... The ones that have blue writing, the, the lacquer they used to use, that was my favourite ever stick. They were just great sticks. They just had a nice vibe about them. <clears throat> the, the I don't know what it was. And the blue... The, the colour, the blue that they used was really nice. So I'd love uh, Vic Firth to bring that back. But, you know... But there's something about the way they lacquered them and the wood, and I don't know what it was, but it was it was the best vibe, uh, and and they were like that for a long, long time because that was I think that was how like the original were designed actually. I don't I don't remember when they changed that design, but anyway, I don't. So the thing with sticks is just a roundabout comment. I don't know a lot about sticks because I've only ever used one stick since my kind of late teens, and then. Uh, I've gone through trying different types of sticks um, and never liked them, you know. But the pad, I just tend to have a pair of sticks around for the pad. And, uh, yeah. These, um, yeah, these SD10 Swingers, American Custom. Um, yeah, they're all right. But yeah, they're not they're not a stick I'd use on the kit. Uh, let me put this stick away. And so oh yeah, it's a pair of yeah it's a pair of Erskins here. So so you hear the pitch the sort of tone difference. You know it's just uh, yes. These are quite old-ish skins. The tips are alright though, but um, yeah, I just have I just have sticks lying around all over the place, you know. Um, I tend I've got these shelves in here which have uh, my drums on and they have other stuff on, I tend to have sticks kind of everywhere just so I can grab a pair of sticks. Never have don't you know? Never have. Uh, the, the rule I have in here is is never be all, like within arm's reach of a pair of sticks. That's kind of. Um, you know, that's just a weird rule I have. You know, it's just a thing. I had this thing uh, years and years ago. I had this kind of thing. Where I was I'm gonna, always going to have a pair of sticks on me, you know, so I can play. And it's just like it's just like a nonsense thing, really, because you know there was no. It's just it's sometimes just not appropriate to play, is it? You know, people just want to punch you or something. Um Anyway. So drumsticks and practice sticks. Yes, I do. And I don't uh I don't own metal sticks. Somebody asked me about this before. Um I know a couple of people that do and they really like them. I use the Jeff Moores because they're heavier and they're thicker uh and they're hard work to play with. And the metal sticks, I believe, are the same. You know, they they're just um they're the same. The thing with the, the metal sticks is that they're, they're they're generally the same size is the stick that most people generically play. You know, they're around a five or a seven A-ish kind of size, but they're but they're a lot heavier. Um I just I quite like the challenge of playing the doing the you know the practice stick with the with the Jeff Moores. And the thing about the Jeff Moores I'll say as well, and I think I've said this before, is if I get on the kit with the Jeff Moores and play if I've, if I've been playing with them even on the pad, if I get on the kit with them, I can eventually find a sound, you know. Um, n- you know, not after too long, f- 10, 15 minutes, I'll just get to a point where I've found... And I can play at 90, 90, 90%, I reckon. Not totally 100%. I, d- I mean, I never, I've never played at 100% with them. I wouldn't be able to tell you, to be honest with you. But... I definitely can play at ninety percent with them, you know, and it's the same with these um, these SD Swinger American classics I've got here that I, on the practice pad. If I got on the kit with them and I was playing with them, I could be, you know, pretty much at full whatever. You know within no time it's just the sound thing you know I, i'd be the jeff moores i'd find a sound but it wouldn't be the sound it would just be it'd be the, an ideal kind of sound with that stick it'd just be the best thing i can kind of find and the same with these other sticks because that's the thing that we do And it's like when you you know if you go on if you go on a kit and you've got you know you just got what you've got it's got weird symbols and it's got symbols that are not ideal and you know, if we really try, we find a sound, you know. I did this tour years ago in Spain. I used to go over there a lot with this uh, trio that I used to play with. It was a kind of en- sort of entertainment sort of trio. It was, you know, we used to do some nice gigs and it was always good fun and there was always lots of kind of drinking and stuff and cigars and just, you know, nice wine and things. Just like um, in Spain, you know, there's always this kind of culture of um i just find it exhausting to be honest with you it's not really my kind of thing but it wasn't Yeah, you know, it wasn't all the time and uh this one year um we went over and there was a guy that we'd met who was um he was a kind of friend of the guy the promoter that got us over there and he also became like a bit of a friend of the of the singer that we uh, that we had in the in the group as well They kind of a guy quite pally you know um, even though this guy spoke no English and the guy, the singer at the time didn't speak any Spanish. They just became friends. It's one of those things, you know. Um you know, good drinking buddies, as they say. And anyway, um this guy was a drummer, you know. He I mean he was an engineer by day job, but he was he was, you know, he was a hobbyist drummer. And so when I first went over there, he came to some of the gigs and he was watching me and he was really nice, you know, nice about me, and 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 he said um, to the guy, the promoter said, "Oh, if, you know, if he ever comes back to um, to Spain again, you do something. You can use my drums and my gear, you know." And I was like, "Oh, right, okay." Anyway, so I went to his I went to his house um, at the end of I think the second visit, and I went to his garage, and he had he had all these uh, like oak custom Yamaha oak custom every bass drum size, all the toms, everything. So I was like, oh, amazing, great. So the next time I went back. I was he he he'd made this offer, he'd said he really wanted me to use his stuff, and I was like, Oh great, okay. And this time I didn't take any symbols with me. Um I just because he had symbols and I didn't check out the symbols. I just thought, you know, I don't know, just oh yeah, it was one of those things. And I think we were traveling a bit light and there was a couple of other issues. Um so anyway, um he turns up on the first gig. And the got these really nice 18-inch bass drum, really nice, nice toms, good really good hardware, all Yamaha hardware. I'm a big fan of Yamaha hardware as people who know me know. And then the cymbals were all we should you know, they're really good cymbals, but they're all Sabian um AAX Studio Ride, Studio Crash, Studio Hi-Hats. And this was a it was a jazz, it was a, ostensibly a jazz gig it was it was a, it was a trio singing you know but the, the 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 sound world of it was was a jazzy sound and a, a groovy you know um, if you're thinking um, I'm trying to think of a, a sort of groove equivalent um, oh, what's her name now the singer um, brian blade played on it don't know why um uh, nora jones you know if you think about that nora jones kind of sound the groovy the groovy sound in that group was a very similar thing it wasn't a it wasn't like a a funk sound it was like a jazzy groovy sound open you know sort of thing with nice smoky smoky heights and smoky symbols and all that kind of stuff and then it, i you know i'd do all these gigs with these aax studio ride but you know what after the 10 minutes on the first gig I'd found a perfectly acceptable fine vibe you know it was all fine and I did you know and we did some stuff with a Spanish sax player really good uh, this guy went on to went to move to New York and um, eventually because he married this uh, girl from New York and uh, he was a great player from Madrid and you know I was playing with him and he was a proper jazzer and it was fine you know so but yeah but i wouldn't choose it definitely wouldn't have been you know my kind of symbol of choice but you find the sound oh yeah i think that's what i'm trying to say just whittering on air about uh, all that kind of stuff but you know i just wouldn't be disheartened in those situations you just got to make the best of whatever it is you know you got to make music and you can make music i can make music off a desktop you know and i think anybody can you know just like i just here just hitting this abrasive to me anyway it's all sound so yeah drumsticks and practice sticks done that and um, and then somebody asked me this thing about uh, it's like the question was about sort of the balance of different things when you practice um which i found a really interesting question actually because it could go in lots of different directions um and so I don't... I can't remember exactly the context. So I'm not even sure I'm going to answer the their question, but I can answer the question um, for myself. And I suppose it links to the thing of, okay... Um, and I think, again, again, it was about these pieces that are right, but I think they were also asking me about, you know, practising drier things, like, you know, more... Um, you know, stuff with just the metronome and things like which, which, if anyone's listening to my, like my episode on the metronome and stuff, you know, you'll know that I practice with a metronome and I enjoy. So, yeah, I mean, the what I'd say is I, I have a I go through, you know, inspirational periods where I'll um, really get on to something that um, that is just a thing that I'll practice with just at the kit with a metronome, you know, and I'm just using the metronome um as a, as a as a time reference point to make sure that i'm you know practicing it consistently at a certain tempo because i'm trying to get something together and it's normally something that's coordinational based on based on something that's coordinational um and then it's within you know a sound world that i'm trying to attain you know it's always within that kind of sound world and that's uh, that's that's ever refining but not changing hugely but it's always refining um. so yeah uh, and, and the hard thing about that can be like i haven't played a lot recently in that way like i've not done a jazz gig since march you know i've played at jazz with anybody since march i've just i've been playing at home and recording and and then i've not played a lot recently but a couple of things that i've tracked recently have been like groove based things and so if i sit down now to practice a coordinational thing uh, that's kind of based in the jazz sound world. One of the things that I'm keeping my ear on, as I'm practicing that thing, you know, I'm trying to get this. You know, it's normally a coordination thing, as I said before. But I'm just, I've got my kind of ear on make getting closer to the sound world of it as well. You know, just making it, making sure that as I'm practicing it, I'm just taking care of it. Does it does the ride cymbal sound how I want it to sound? Is the snare where I want it to be in the balance? It's the hi-hat sounding I want it to sound, you know. All those things, it's not just about the pattern or the coordinational task, it's the sound world of it as well. Just balancing all those things out. So and and so the, and then the other part of it with that about balance of things when you practice is not about balance of sounds about bouncing out different you know different types of things to practice is that like i said before at the beginning of this podcast i've always got this pad close to hand you know in here and so one of the things that i wanted to keep warm with so to speak um this year was my hands so my hands don't feel rusty um because I'd gone through a period um, just because of what was going on in my personal life a, a year ago, and then in, in, in the year before that, um, where I'd really fallen off things technically um, because I hadn't been practicing really, and stuff other stuff had been going on that was a bit more of a priority um, in the family. And I definitely noticed a drop in stamina. You know, and chops basically, um, technical dexterity. You know, fluidity, and sort of getting back to a decent place of of, of getting around the instrument, and having the pad closed, and then having doing you know doing lots of recording here and, and this lockdown thing and all that. And I've talked about this before. I definitely feel like much more on it now, um, and also because I've worked really hard on my bass drum, which I've talked about in the other podcast quite a lot. I've really, really worked the last six months. I've spent a lot of time on the bass drum and just it's been a really just been something I've kind of embraced the negativity of this time with a a positive thing that I've needed to get together for so long. And, you know, I feel two percent down that road now, um, having been no percent down the road back in February. You know, March. I feel like I'm two percent down the road now, um, and it feels good because it feels like it's like this is why I've got the the pad, this pad down on the floor, you know, because um, when I'm practicing on the pad, I'm always doing things that involve the feet, in with it, even even if I'm just feathering, you know, or something. But a lot of it is about. playing patterns like that you know and not doing the thing like he's doing a password just play the hands and the feet would just be you know keeping me from falling off the chair you know um and and when when i'm on the kit as well i'm definitely i've noticed in my left foot um things that i can do by by having this kind of awareness of the feet and by practicing stuff even in the right foot it's opened up the left foot you know it's all connected to each other. You know, Something, something, some inhibition in your right foot or something you're inhibited, sorry, by coordinationally between the hands and the right feet will unlock the left foot simply by unlocking what the problem is with the right foot, I believe. You know, it doesn't unlock the things that you can't do with your left foot. I'm not saying it's the answer to everything is by just practising the other foot. But I, I, I certainly, there's definitely things that I've practised in my right foot and with my right foot and my hands, coordinational things that that have meant the left foot can now do what it wanted to do in that situation and more, you know. So, yeah, so I'd say, you know, finding the right balance of things when you practice is, um, is an ongoing task and it's an ongoing task of uh, of awareness of what your needs are and wants are at the time you know and it's definitely about that thing of you know do you know what you need to practice are you aware of where you are with things if you're not then maybe it's good to see somebody get a lesson you know or have a conversation with somebody that you respect or just with a friend you know someone else else's plays or something just have an open chat about it um they want that will always, for me, always, I mean, I, I speak to drum friends now, you know, and when I'm teaching even, those conversations always lead me to make a note of something that I want to work on, you know, always. Um, so that'll, that I think that will be the same for anybody, you know. And then there's the thing of what projects you're working on. And, and um, so, I, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not really involved in any external projects at the moment. Uh, things are very quiet for me, but... Most people I know are involved in projects, and those projects demand certain things of us playing-wise, you know. So again, it's making sure that you know um, not only what those parts you got to practice, but what you know if there are things that you're struggling with with those with, those, with that music, or if you're trying to play parts that are sort of a bit beyond you. About what supporting exercises you need, you know. And then there's the thing of of working on um, your kind of uh, you know your sort of technical side as well you know and just having the right things that are you know the right things for you technically and, and, and looking at your own technique you know making sure your own technique is working and things like that you know it's just having that those different levels and then there's things like reading you know I, I do go through periods of practicing my reading um, because I, I used to be a very good reader, and then I didn't read for a long time and got back into reading, and you fall on and off it. You know, my reading's pretty good, um, but I do like to practice um, different things. Like Sometimes I like to do snare drum etudes because they're comp- more complex kind of reading with specifics of roles and things. and and just, and just the, the modern reading textbook, the Louis Belson book, is a good one for we- reading weird rhythmical shapes and groupings that are all that you're never going to read in the real world um and then there's just the thing of you know of reading uh like the ted reed stuff you know the, the kind of syncopation stuff just reading those kind of patterns um and then there's chart reading you know uh that's the thing i practice the least um i only I only practice chart reading when i 'm preparing for a show when i 've got a, when i 've got a set of charts that I have to know for a show and that 's normally more about um, knowing the the context really the groove knowing the tempo and and stuff in case you know i 'm getting called upon to be in any way in charge or in a position of Of bigger responsibility than than just the just the drum responsibility you know and that's happened in the past for me before and 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 been ill prepared so I always note to self now you know if I'm doing a reading kind of thing um yeah and then transcription and all those kind of stuff copying other people you know checking out other people listening to them trying to play what they're trying to play their thing uh transcription is such a great tool I can't go on about it enough you know if you um it's just having that patience and having that faith in your own ability to work things out and, and, and being able to, you know, get to a place where you're understanding a little bit how somebody's doing what they're doing, you know. Um, so yeah. But a lot of it's about, yeah, what do you need to practice and what do you want to practice? And that's a question obviously for yourself. So I can't answer that question for you, but I can, you know, certainly make you maybe make you think about. Um, are you just thinking about what you need to practice and you're not thinking about what you want to practice? Or are you just thinking about what you want to practice and you're negating all those things that you need to do, you know? So um, so anyway, that's kind of it, really. Um, nice to be back and to get this slightly more abstract thing. It's quite a long one, actually, today. I'm not sure. Uh, it seems to have witted on for a while. But, yeah, um, I'm unable to commit to a regular day at the moment. I'm... Um, Going to try and get to once a week. Not sure if that's going to work out at the moment. A couple of tricky things going on. Uh, and, of course, work is, is, is ramping up as well. So, um, but, yeah, anyway. And then there's still, yeah, two or three interviews that I've got kind of bubbling away in the background, which have gone a bit quiet at the moment. Uh, yeah, one of the other... Uh, things that were supposed to happen, I think a couple of weeks ago, as I was kind of hoping for one of those interviews to happen it, it didn't happen, so that was gonna fill a bit of a void in relation to uh thinking you know just having me gibbering on it, it's it's so easy to to plan if it, you know if you've got the time it's so easy to plan for an interview if you can you know if you're interviewing somebody that you're interested in it's for me it's just such a simple thing it's just like you know get them on the end of the thing and get them talking because they've got so much so many great things to say. And if you've not listened to any of my interview podcasts, there's four of them now. Christian uh, Alderson, Richard Cass, Seb Crom, Stuart McCallum. They're great um, podcasts. There's some great stuff in them, really, really interesting. They're all very different. They're all very different musicians, you know. So um, still trying to get a second one with Stuart. We have talked about it very briefly again, but um, he's got these amazing things at the moment. If you, if you follow Stuart... On Instagram, he's doing these little lesson things on some of his solo guitar pieces. Um, And they're great. They're just... um, They're they're like on the IGTV thing, you know. So he's playing them uh, solo, and they're they're beautifully recorded. And just in his house. I think he's in his house. Looks like he's in his house. And then he's doing like a little like a lesson thing talking about you know how he wrote the tune and how he tunes the guitar and his approach to improvisation and stuff and it's all there for free you know amazing such an amazing resource and uh, and it's also great i've played quite a lot of those tunes with him you know and uh It's really interesting to hear him talking about that music. So, you know, I really recommend that if you've not checked it out. He's on Instagram. I don't know if he's on Facebook. I don't really go on Facebook, so he's probably on Facebook as well. But um, he's posting a couple of things a week, which is very, very generous of him. So, you know, we should all be grateful for that. Um, And, yeah, hopefully I'm going to get him back on here again to talk about some other stuff that we didn't get around to talking about last time. So... Yeah, anyway, thanks for listening and um, I'll hopefully be back very soon. So bye for now.